The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. everybody to the lakers legacy podcast where wiener schnitzel bratwurst sauerkraut the lakers have opted not to go green again this season but instead go german with their shiny new car and that german car is dennis schroeder so call us the schroed time lakers uh, shout out to our buddy scott andreen for that gem but yes welcome to the lakers legacy podcast i'm your host jonathan hernandez And straight off of winning the NBA championship just last month, the Lakers have somehow made the first move of the 2020-2021 season by making a huge splash and agreeing in principle to trade Danny Green and the number 28th pick for Dennis Schroeder to Oklahoma City. And wow, I mean, that's that's honestly all I can say right now. Um, I did not expect this at all. I did not see this coming, obviously, if you listened to the last podcast episode. While I did predict that the Lakers would be trading their number 28th pick and getting off of that salary, I thought they would be trading that pick along with JaVale McGee to get off of his salary, mainly because I didn't think we'd bring in another player, uh, especially not a player of Dennis Schroeder, especially not a player of Dennis Schroeder's caliber, because I didn't think we'd be able to send enough salary back out. I didn't think a team would want Danny Green. But somehow the Lakers and somehow Rob Palenka was able to make all of this work. We were able to beat the Milwaukee Bucks at their own game because the Milwaukee Bucks were also interested in trading for Dennis Schroeder, but they likely didn't have the expiring contracts to make things work. But guess who did? We did with Danny Green and I'm still trying to wrap my mind and my head around this deal because it's just so perfect. Uh, For one thing, Cal Kuzma's not in this deal, so if we want to swing another trade midseason down the line, we still have that Cal Kuzma asset, we still have THT, and for another thing, this puts the DeMar DeRozan rumors and the Chris Paul rumors off the table, which, you know, DeRozan would have been a fun idea i guess but in all honesty he was not a perfect fit with the lakers at all and that's putting it lightly um his lack of shooting his lack of defense his usage presented too many holes to try and fit right before a new season when continuity would matter to the lakers much more if they intend to load manage earlier on in the season And with Dennis Schroeder, while you are losing continuity by taking Danny Green out, 
Dennis Schroeder fills a hole for the Lakers that they were sorely missing before playoff Rondo showed up in the playmaking department. And not only the playmaking department, but Dennis Schroeder, as opposed to Rajon Rondo, can actually penetrate and score and put the defense on its heels. And you saw that in the playoffs against the Houston Rockets. They had no answer for Dennis Schroeder. And now the Lakers not only have a playmaking initiator off the bench in case Rajon Rondo leaves, which it's been speculated that he will, and that the Lakers are making this move preemptively because they think he's going to get a bigger offer, or maybe they're making this move preemptively to have leverage over Rondo. So whether or not Rondo stays or goes, Dennis Schroeder just shores up the primary initiating and scoring hole for the Lakers that, especially with regards to regular season Rondo, we very sorely need. And again, considering that this team might load manage, just having a floor general like Dennis Schroeder is is paramount to this team's success early on in, in just stemming the tide. Okay, so in this episode, I'm clearly just doing a stream of consciousness instant reaction to my thoughts on Dennis Schroeder. It's not going to be collected. It's not going to be organized. In fact, this episode was supposed to be a penultimate draft episode in preparation for Wednesday night's virtual draft, as I have on SI's Jeremy Wu, Sports Illustrated's draft analyst, to talk about prospects in the number 28 to early second round range. And so obviously, we no longer have the 28th pick, but you will still hear my segment with Jeremy because... A lot of the players that we talk about in the 28th pick range also could apply to guys that the Lakers could look at if they buy into the second round within those first 10 picks. And I actually 100% believe Rob Palenka will buy into the second round as he did last year where after we traded away the number fourth pick uh, for Anthony Davis, we still ended up buying the 46th pick for Taylor Horton Tucker. Given how deep this draft is with solid role-playing types and how proficient our scouting staff has been with later-round picks, I absolutely believe that we'll have a second-round pick, if not two, coming out of this draft, along with a slew of undrafted free agent signings guys. So I think that my segment with Jeremy Wu will still will still be very insightful for you guys to listen to. So we'll get to that right after uh, we continue to talk about just uh, Dennis Schroeder and just... What an amazing trade this is, just point blankly. Yeah, I mean, I said it on Twitter, but this move for Dennis Schroeder, only giving up the number 28th pick, which I thought they were just going to use for a salary dump, and giving up Danny Green, who you know tremendously underperformed in the playoffs and was inconsistent throughout the whole season. Props to Rob Palenka, man. I did not see this coming at all. I didn't think he'd be able to pull off a deal like this. I think the efficiency of the trade and the asset reallocation of this trade, taking all of that into context and putting aside the obvious big trades and moves that he's pulled off with regards to the Anthony Davis trade and obviously signing LeBron James and and throw in signing Markeith Morris for nothing. If we contextualize all of Rob Palenka's moves thus far, I think this one objectively may be his best yet just in terms of what he was able to get for what he's you know pushing out in terms of just the number 28 pick and you know a guy who was underperforming and didn't shoot as consistently well as we had hoped and in fact Dennis Schroeder actually shot better than Danny Green from three-point land in the regular season and that goes for the percentage he shot 38 percent to Danny Green's 36 percent and it goes for makes as well he hit 1.93s to Danny's 1.8 so just an incredible trade that I'm sure we'll get 
deeper into as you know the the draft comes along and I, I bring on Tommy and Alan to just assess what just happened here there are a lot of moving parts here there are a lot of there are definitely a lot of if this then that things to take into account of um, most notably while the Lakers are sending out the first round pick salary of, of about 1.9 million and Danny Green's salary of 15 million they are taking in Dennis Schroeder's $15.5 million salary, but if you, take into the, if you take into account the incentives that are attached to Dennis Schroeder's salary, he actually counts for $17 million on our books. So shout out to Yazi Goslin for updating his numbers and, and letting me know about this because we essentially don't gain any cap space with this move, so it's kind of a wash in terms of salary. And because of that, if the Lakers do intend to use their full $9.3 million MLE, they're going to still have to make some moves in order to free up enough space below the hard apron to comfortably use that asset. Uh, But we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, I really just want to quickly touch upon Dennis Schroeder because, like I mentioned, um, out of all the trade options on the market that the Lakers could go for, I would much prefer... I much preferred getting a guard, a playmaking guard like Dennis Schroeder. Obviously, the optimal option would have been Spencer Dinwiddie, but Dennis Schroeder actually does is not that dissimilar from Dinwiddie. And the fact that we could get him and not include Kuzma is insane. Because for Spencer Dinwiddie, Kuzma likely would have had to be included. And obviously, if you compare this to the DeMar DeRozan thing, Kuzma would have to have been included in that deal as well. For a player that would have been a wonky fit for this team, as opposed to Dennis Schroeder, who now just comfortably fills into that primary initiating scoring spot for this team. Uh, Just getting into who Dennis Schroeder is as a player, he is a fast, savvy, crafty dude who's able to cut into opposing teams' defenses and just penetrate and score at will. Last season, he was a candidate for six men of the year. He had a bang-out season averaging 18.9 points, 3.6 rebounds, 4 assists. He shot his best percentage from 3-point land, shooting 38.5%, hitting a career-high 1.9 threes in the regular season. He also shot a career-high 46.9% from the field. In the playoffs, he wreaked havoc against the Houston Rockets, and he was one of the guys who helped the Oklahoma City Thunder come back from down 3-1 to get it to 3-3, and the Rockets didn't have any answers for him. Uh, During that series, he had back-to-back games of 29 points and then 30 points and was just overall this safety valve for Chris Paul on the Oklahoma City Thunder, whose half-court offense was just very mucky and bogged down. And so Dennis Schroeder really helped to grease the wheels of their offense, and that's exactly what he's going to do for the Lakers. Now, I don't expect him to average 19 points again, but can we reasonably expect 14 points and three assists off the bench? Absolutely. And maybe even more than that during the early part of the season when we load manage a couple guys, most notably LeBron James, Rajon Rondo if he's still here, and Dennis Schroeder, Cal Kuzma, Alex Caruso, THT can run amok off the bench, and that's going to be an exciting thing to watch. The one other thing that I want to point out about Dennis Schroeder to more specifically get into his improved three-point shooting is he had a stretch, an 11-game stretch last season where he shot 34 of 69 from three-point land. That's 49% from three, averaging three threes made a game. No one on the Lakers this past season came close to an extended stretch like this from the outside. Now, it's very possible, given the Lakers' three-point curse, that he will regress, but just 
looking at those numbers and that stretch, that is insane. 11 games is a large enough sample size to say this guy's three-point shot definitely improved. He hit 2 of 5, 3 of 7, 3 of 5, 3 of 8, 4 of 6, 3 of 4, 3 of 4, 3 of 7. He had a 5 of 10 game during that stretch. And, you know, I'm pretty confident in Dennis Schroeder's ability to shoot from the outside at this point. Obviously, we lose size with Danny Green. We lose another wing defender. And that's something we'll definitely have to address on the market. But in terms of, of the hole that Dennis Schroeder is filling, especially if Rajon Rondo is out, it's a huge move, and it takes a huge weight off of Rob Palenka's chest in terms of a walking away point from Rajon Rondo and not being so desperate to try and fill that spot immediately. Uh, when it comes to like a wing defender, you're likely not going to get a guy who's well-rounded in terms of someone who can both shoot threes well and defend. But the Lakers were still able to keep Cal Kuzma. I do expect them to buy a second-round pick and maybe get a wing with that pick as insurance. Um... And they'll still have, at the very least, veteran minimum exceptions to use. And we've already heard that they are looking to potentially go after Wesley Matthews if he opts out of his deal with the Milwaukee Bucks. And at the very least, they also have the 5.7 smaller MLE to use if they choose to forego using the 9.3 MLE and hard capping themselves as a result of that. So I'm going to get into the cap specifics of what the Lakers need to do should they want to open up that space and use the bigger MLE. But before I do, just wanted to implore you guys to please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod and to also please rate and review us five stars on iTunes. Uh, I'm working really hard around the clock to deliver this content to you guys in a very timely manner, especially when things like this go down. So I would very much appreciate if you guys would let me know that you guys are listening and that you appreciate the content and the grind we're putting out amidst this crazy, crazy season in the NBA right now that we did not anticipate happening just before Thanksgiving. So yes, if you, if you are able to, please rate and interview us five stars on iTunes. And if you're feeling extra generous and willing during this holiday season and just want to support us by donating a buck to our cause, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast and support us that way. So just to touch on the cap specifics really quickly, as I mentioned before, the salary outgoing and incoming with Dennis Schroeder, Danny Green, and the number 28 pick is a wash. The Lakers don't save any money. And so because of that, if they do want to use the 9.3 MLE, they will have to make some decisions. Um, so here are the Lakers' options if they still want to use that 9.3 MLE, which again will hard cap them at the tax apron of 138, meaning they can't go over that number at all at any point during the season. They can't add additional buyout guys during midseason. They can't pull off a trade where they take on a little bit more salary. And they'll have a very limited amount of space after the MLE to sign vet minimum guys like even Wesley Matthews. And those veteran guys, they command much more than the typical 1.6 million that other vet minimum guys would get. Wesley Matthews, for example, would command $2.6 million on his first year. So now with Dennis Schroeder on our books, how are the Lakers able to use that 9.3 MLE while also still having enough space to maintain flexibility? They have a couple of options. In this scenario, I'm assuming that Rondo's gone. And so in addition to Rondo being gone, if Avery Bradley opts out of his $5 million, that should give the Lakers enough room to work with where they can still use the 9.3 MLE and have enough space to sign you know, two or three additional veteran minimum guys. So one, Avery Bradley opts out. Two, KCP could walk. 
and maybe he outprices himself for the Lakers and the Lakers simply can't afford to give him or don't want to give him $15 million. They can give him up to his max, but that's probably not wise. So let's say KCP wants $18 million and the Lakers say, sorry, we can't give that to you and KCP is gone. If KCP is gone, then that's really all the flexibility and space the Lakers need. So that's number that's the number two option. One, Avery Bradley opts out. Or two, KCP walks. Three, which is a little bit harder to pull off now that the Lakers don't have the number 28 pick as an asset. But if the Lakers are able to somehow get off of JaVale McGee's $4.2 million, then they'd also have a little bit more flexibility and space to use the 9.3 MLE. Uh, lastly, and even more unlikely than getting off of JaVale McGee's money, is if the Lakers are granted the $5 million Luau Dang exception due to him ending his career uh, via injury. Very unlikely that happens, but that is one option. And I guess with regards to JaVale McGee, if JaVale McGee somehow opts out of his $4.2 million, then the Lakers have that space and don't have to worry about moving him. I still fully expect him to opt into that, whether or not he knows he's being traded elsewhere. So those are the four options. Avery Bradley opts out or KCP walks. Somehow the Lakers are able to get off of JaVale McGee's $4.2 million, whether they trade him with an asset, I don't know what asset, or he opts out of that. Or the Lakers are granted the $5 million dang exception to get his dead cap off the books. The last option is maybe the Lakers don't use the 9.3 MLE because if they, if they opt to use the lower 5.7 MLE instead, they don't hard cap themselves and they don't have to worry about being below the 138 line throughout the season. They can make whatever moves they want to. They can sign as many guys as they want to during the buyout market time near the trade deadline. And it'll just make their lives a lot easier for them. Will they lose out on a guy like Serge Ibaka, Danilo Gallinari, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. But at this point, I mean, they just got a guy in Dennis Schroeder who kind of shores up a lot of holes for them and a lot of deficiencies that maybe they can just go to town with that 5.7 MLE and get a wing like Justin Holiday or Mo Harkless to fill Danny Green's spot. Now, they still obviously have to worry about whether or not they want to retain a Markeith Morris, a Dwight Howard. Uh, can they get a stretch big, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that could also be an option for the Lakers. Just choosing not to hard cap themselves, give themselves the utmost flexibility, uh, look for trades down the line should they need to swing them. And yeah, just using that 5.7 MLE on a wing on a 3 and D wing like Justin Holiday, Mo Harkless, maybe even a Jay Crowder. I know we've been pumping up Derek Jones Jr. recently. Uh, now I'm not sure how he would fit given he doesn't really shoot threes, although there's some potential there. And I'm honestly not sure defensively how Derek Jones Jr. adds up, but he would be an option as well. I know I know Josh Jackson's name has been thrown out there too as a potential 3 and D wing. And if you can get him on the vet minimum, sure, bring him along as well. If you can get Derek Jones Jr. for the vet minimum, I would love to have an athletic, lanky, toolsy guy like him to, you know, potentially play that that wing defender spot. But but yeah, the Lakers are going to have to make some decisions and we're going to see very quickly what they have to work with. And um, and yeah, my brain is currently mush. I'm going to continue to ramble and talk myself into oblivion if I don't stop. We will obviously be diving deeper into this trade and its implications and what Dennis Schroeder means to this team in a future episode, most likely the draft day episode after we find out who the Lakers pick with their second round pick. 
But for now, I'll leave it at that with the Dennis Schroeder and trade and cap space talk. This deal obviously throws a wrench into my podcast plans as I have a segment with Jeremy Wu coming up, Sports Illustrated's Jeremy Wu, who's a draft analyst for them. And we talk about the number 28 pick and the options around the number 28 pick. But we also delved into guys who may be there in the second round. So a lot of players, especially in this draft, who we talked about for the 28th pick may also be there in the early second round from picks 30 to 40. So you'll definitely still want to stay tuned um, as I turn it over to my segment with Jeremy Wu. Just know that we obviously recorded that prior to this trade. And obviously in that segment, I'm still talking as if the Lakers still have their number 28 pick. You can just disregard that, but continue to keep the prospects' names in mind because it's very likely, again, that those same prospects we talked about in the number 28 range also fall to the second round range outside of the fact that we just talked about guys who are in the second round in general. So um, I'm going to take it to break. When I return, it'll be my segment with SI's Jeremy Wu as we talk about the NBA draft and some prospects the Lakers could look at, including wing prospects who they could use now in Danny Green's stead. And then after that segment with Jeremy Wu, I'll give my final draft thoughts leading into um, draft night on Wednesday and give you guys some second round options that me and Jeremy didn't talk about who who you may want to put on your radar when it comes to what the Lakers are now looking for now that they have Dennis Schroeder and they no longer have Danny Green on the roster. So um, so yeah, after the break, you'll catch my draft segment with SI's Jeremy Wu. All right, so today we're pleased to bring on Sports Illustrated's draft insider Jeremy Wu to help us break down the Lakers' options in the late first round and maybe even the early second round should they trade down. Jeremy, how are you doing today during the longest draft season of your life in which March Madness has seemingly extended into the oblivion, but not in the ways we had hoped with actual (laughs) college basketball being played? But nonetheless, how are you doing? I'm good, man. You know, uh, we just talked a little bit about this, but I think at this point, it's so late in the game that if you're following the draft closely or you know, reporting on it like I am, or if you're a team just like ready to get this over with, like at this point, it's just about, you know, who's going to go where, figuring out uh, some of this, you know, trade stuff, uh, which is not going to, my guess is that'll all happen pretty fast and furious uh, mm-hmm. once they can, you know, maybe today when they <laughs> you know, get the cap stuff figured out. So um, just sort of waiting for that storm, but uh, not bad. Yeah, well, you know, for Lakers fans, this sort of crept up on us. So we haven't been following it closely, which is why we need analysts and experts like you. So we'll go ahead and get started because I know your time is a little constrained. And thank you for fitting us into your jam-packed schedule during this very unique draft season. Okay, I guess my first question is, what's the current landscape right now with risers and fallers, especially with, you know, measurements coming out from who knows where and, and if everybody's even like following the same rubric at this point? What are you hearing about any potential sliders who you maybe didn't expect to be in the Lakers' number 28 range that maybe the Lakers will be able to take advantage of now? Yeah, um, I think just sort of going through uh, the order in my, in my head here, uh, I mean, I think like Josh Green could be there at mm-hmm. 28 who might, you know, might have been going a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, it, it's always a little bit tough because teams are all over the board and there's going to be, particularly I think in the, 18 to 23 range. Mm-hmm. I think there'll probably be some trades, but you kind of have a sense of who's going to be there. Uh, I mean, I th- yeah, so I think it's possible he's there. I think it's possible, uh, you know, some of the bigs. I mean, I would put like 
I don't think Isaiah Stewart's going to be there, but like a mm-hmm. Vernon Carey or a Jalen Smith or uh, Zeke okay. Nagy. Those guys are all kind of like in a group, I think, probably. And, yeah. Uh, you know, just as a numbers game, you know, one or two of those guys would probably be there. Um, I think a Trey Jones could be there at 28. I'm, I'm just going down the list here. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll get into, I guess, more detail on some of the, the guys you mentioned. But um, I guess let's land really quickly on, you mentioned Jalen Smith and Isaiah Stewart not being there. So these are the two more, I guess you'd call them like stretch big men in college basketball. Uh, personally for you, who do you have ranked ahead of each other? Because I, I personally thought Jalen Smith was typically, you know, considered the better prospect between him and Isaiah Stewart. I'm not a big Jalen Smith guy. Okay. Uh, I think the opinion with him is kind of split depending on who you talk to, but um, I, I like Stewart, and I think teams teams like Stewart just because of what he has in terms of uh, intangibles, and he's reliable. Uh, you know, people believe he's going to get better. You know, all, all that, he has that going for him now. Uh, you know, he's still working on the shot. It's not, you know, Jalen Smith is a better shooter, so if you're mm-hmm. looking for a guy who's going to, like, shoot right away, I mean, Smith probably has that edge in that department, but I, I've always thought Stewart's just a better player. Uh, okay. You know, I haven't seen them play in high school, and uh, you know, Smith uh, is a little bit stiff movement-wise, and that's always concerned me a little bit. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, with him. You know, I just don't see as, like, a super versatile player. And Stewart, I kind of know what I'm getting. So for me, that, that's how I would put those two. Okay, and just to give um, context to our listeners who probably have no idea who these guys are, um, Jalen Smith is 6'10 with a 7'2 wingspan. Um, long, lanky, great shot blocker, somewhat of a good motor. It kind of reminds me of, I, I know the high upside comps for him are like Thomas Bryant or like Miles Turner, Serge Ibaka. I don't know if he'll get to that point. Um, and then Isaiah Stewart, 6'9", 7'4", wingspan. He, he's a little bit bulkier. He kind of reminds me of Ed Davis a little bit with a potential for a legit outside shot as well. I'd probably put him in that Thomas Bryant-esque mold. Is that how you'd kind of describe both of them? I think Stewart's more of a defensive-minded uh, okay. Big. I mean, I, I think you could you could think like a Daniel Tice, uh, maybe not as like you know laterally quick, but like a guy like that, or like um, it's, it's blank me right now. But I, I think he's more of a guy who's you, you know you're gonna trust him to do the dirty work. Where Smith mm-hmm. is like an offensive minded guy who's oh, gonna rebound. Gotcha. That's how I distinguish it. Stewart's more physical, and then Smith uh, is you know the, their body types are a lot different, right? So so Smith Smith is not as, as physical of a rebounder, more of a positional shot blocker. Uh, gets you know kind of gets pushed around a lot sometimes. Mm-hmm. So okay, well those are two names that you know Lakers fans can kind of keep track of in terms of potential stretch bigs. My next question to you is pertaining to the Lakers, who are some of the best win now will contribute immediately prospects you foresee potentially being in the number twenty eight to thirty five range as the Lakers may also trade out of the first into the second. I mean I'd look at I think Desmond Bain may be there. Mm-hmm. I think he's a guy who makes sense in that range. Four-year college player, uh, very good shooter, pretty well-rounded player. Not like it doesn't jump off the page athletically, but just kind of like does stuff uh, and has the experience factor. Um, I mean, you could throw Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman uh, from Michigan State. You know, both mm-hmm. those guys should be there at 28. And it's kind of a similar thing where, you know, Winston doesn't have great tools, not a great athlete, but has just always been a winning player. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of fits that mold of – you know, experienced college players who kind of get undervalued going into the draft. Uh, but again, it kind of depends on how you feel about the tools uh, with him. Mm-hmm. You know, Till- Xavier Tillman, maybe the best uh, defensive big, uh, you know, in the back part, you know, middle part of the draft, I guess. It doesn't have as, you know, as much of a flushed out offensive game, but you know, he's a guy who I think is going to be a really good pro. Just because how, how good he is already at so many small things. 
So, I mean, those are guys who I think I would classify as like win now players. Okay. Just because they're older college players. Right. You know, with freshmen, it's harder to sometimes know what you're getting. Uh, I think those guys could be there in that range. Cool. Uh, so Xavier Tillman, he's like an older prospect. He has a nice, like, general floorsmanship about the court. I mean, he's a pretty good playmaker at the top of the key. What are your thoughts about him being able to potentially stretch the floor for a team like the Lakers? Because I know that's something that they're looking for. I don't know if it necessarily extend out to the three, but it seems like he has a semblance of a mid-range jump shot there as well. Yeah, you know, I don't think he's going to shoot from day one, but I do think he'll figure it out. Like, I don't think his shot is a disaster. And, you know, just just being able to hit open spot up threes, you know, for a lot of guys, it's not a huge stretch. Uh, and I think if you can rely on the guy, you know, to put the work in to do it, I think it helps. And, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be percent three point shooter. Sure. He won't be taking more than probably one or two threes a game. But, you know, if, you, if he adds that on top of all the other stuff he does well, I mean, it's, it's a pretty solid rotation player, I think. Right. And I think the biggest, the most attractive part about Xavier Teltman is his ability to play make, um, not necessarily... I guess kind of Brad Miller-esque, um, but... Oh, I like that one. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like, I mean, a high upside too would be a Paul Millsap if he ever gets to that point, but unlikely. Um, so who are your, moving on from, from that general question, who are the best 3 and D wing prospects in this number 28 to early second vicinity? You yeah, mentioned Josh uh, Green, so... Yeah, that's where I was going to start. Um, you know, I think it's possible he's there, 28. He might not be. I think he could be. You know, it's still, for him, he has a lot of work to do just to be a more consistent player all around. You know, his shot has to get better. He has, he has a few things to clean up, but I think athletically he kind of fits the bill for sure. He's a pretty well-rounded player. He doesn't have one, like, elite skill that jumps off the page, and it's more of, like, a theoretical, like, yeah, this guy can be, you know, hit, hit shots and, and defend for us. And, you know, if he's there at 28, it's probably because teams aren't 100% sold on, on that, mm-hmm. but... I don't think that'd be a bad pick for them. Um, I mean, other wings. I mean, it, it's tough because I, I think that that player type, there aren't a ton of them in, in this draft, really. And right. then, you know, the better ones, you could say, you know, Devin Vassell, those types of guys are going to go way higher. But, you know, I mean, I look at Green uh, in terms of guys who are shooters. I mean, Bain has the three. I don't know if he's has the D. Uh, <laughs> Isaiah Joe is sort of the same thing, you know, really good shooter. But I don't think he, you know, defensively is expected to, to do much. Um mm-hmm. A really good shooter, uh, Emmanuel. Quickly, uh, I think I don't know if he'll. He's probably more of an early second round pick. I don't know if mm-hmm. he's you know, going to be twenty eight, but uh, another guy who's a really good shooter uh, coming off a really good year. So th- those are some of the names that I'd look for in that vein. Gotcha. Yeah, I know. I think Emmanuel quickly interviewed with the Lakers twice, so he may be an option if the Lakers do, do decide to trade out of the first round. Um, on Josh Green, who does he sort of remind you of? I, I, I know during the last 10 games of his college career, he started to shoot the three ball a lot more and I guess more proficiently. Um, and he, he's very athletic. The way that he snipes the ball and then goes in for these transition ducks is, dunks is very electric and dynamic. It, he kind of reminds me of maybe, I don't know, like an Iman Shumpert, defensive-minded Gerald Green, but shorter and I guess slightly less athletic. Um, but I think there's some potential in his jump shot. What about you? Yeah, um, in terms of comparisons, I don't know. I and mean, those aren't bad. I don't, I don't have one off the top of my head, to be no, honest. No, that's fair. But, but um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he checks enough boxes to where you say, you know, if he puts the work in, he'll shoot it a little bit better. Uh, you know, obviously, just just fitting the, the mold physically helps a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he can pass a little bit. He's a decent off-ball cutter. I think Arizona, they were an inexperienced team, so, like, all those guys, uh, you know, Green – 
uh, Mannion and Najee, you know, all three of those guys, you know, they were the three best players in the team. So, you know, they got ups and downs. But I think development-wise, I think you can see him sort of being that type of guy you can kind of just throw out there, and he's your probably not more than your fourth option. But, you know, if he does the other stuff, that's fine. You know, they, they, I was – I always say, you know, the NBA has enough scorers, right? Yeah, I mean, when you're trying to identify, you know, who the right. better role players are, it's like who does the other stuff. Right. Um, you mentioned some shooters, so we can, I guess, move on to that category. Who would you say are your best shooters in this range? You mentioned uh, Emmanuel Quickly, who uh, shot 42% from three. I mean, he shoots 90% from the free throw line. Seems to have some on-ball defensive potential. He's 6'3", with a 6'8", wingspan out of Kentucky. And, every, you know, everybody knows the tale on Kentucky guys, you know, potentially being better in the NBA. Um, but can you give me uh, a little more info on Emmanuel Quickly and any other, like, great shooters in this range? Quickly kind of reminds me of Lindsey Hunter. I don't know if that's a good comp. Oh, that's but, good. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. I'm digging these old-school comps. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, Quickly, I, I think he's gonna definitely going to shoot. He had a really good year at Kentucky. I think kind of embraced the fact that he wasn't playing on the ball all the time and kind of reinvented himself as a player, worked really hard, um, got really good results in terms of numbers. And uh, I think as long as you're playing him off of a creative playmaker, um, he's going to be, I think, have a chance to be a pretty good, like, decent rotation guy. You know, he's not a super creative passer, probably more of a two on offense, but he'll be able to defend some point guards. I mean, you could look at it almost in in, in sort of the Avery Bradley vein. Like, I don't think he, probably not more, more offensive-minded player, but, you know, that's something that I think you can think about. Um, other shooters, I mean, you know, I mentioned Desmond Bain, I mentioned Isaiah Joe. Uh, those are the two, the other two guys I'd point to as, as far as the guys who you could really classify as shooters in that range. Um, and, I mean, if you go for the down, Jordan Mora can really shoot, but I think he's more of a you know, second-round pick. So I, I, I would be surprised if he was, you know, the guy at 28. But, you know, those are, so those are some of the guys who I think – are like feasible uh, in that 28 to 35. Cool. Yeah, I really like Isaiah Joe as well. He seems to have a very fluid-looking game. But let's move on to, uh, I guess, a category that the Lakers may highly consider given their roster limitations this year if they want to bring everybody back and then sign some potential new upgrades um, and also their their cap situation. Uh, Who are the best draft and stash international candidates that the Lakers may find in, in this range? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's possible. Leandro Bomaro is there. Uh, I I really like him uh, just generally as a player. Uh, is gonna have to shoot it a lot better. Um, gonna have to you know work on becoming more athletic. Uh, but his feel is really strong. He's a great passer. Uh, you know, it's really hard to find guys who are you know six six legit legit uh, playmakers, and I think he is that. So. You know, he may be gone before 28. If he's there at 28, I think he's a pretty, mm-hmm. you know, of the stash picks, I think he's a good option. Um, other than him, I mean, honestly, it's it's not a great um, mm-hmm. international draft in terms of stash guys. Uh, I think Pokusevsky uh, will be gone before 28, so I wouldn't even yeah. worry about that. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess I guess Theo Maladon uh, might be there. I think he's going to come over. I don't think he's a stash. He's not a stash guy, but mm-hmm. uh, he's not an international guy who – Conceivably, I, I, I would be a little surprised if he fell all the way to 28. But I think okay. be, if he does get there, I think he'd be a good pick. Um, yeah. But it's not it's not like a super deep international group. There are not a lot of in terms of the second round. Not as many names that are you know for sure going to be you know 31 to 45. Right. I think the only other guy I can think of is Paul Eboa, but he's like a super seems like a huge project potentially um, that a team would have to deal with. I think you'll like my comp for. Uh, Leandro Balmero, 
this and this is like a low end comp. He, he reminds me of Luke Walton, uh, but with <laughs> a little bit more shake to him. But you know, if his shot's not really there, but he's like a really high basketball IQ sort of guy with good passing, so uh, Lakers fans will know all about Luke Walton. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on uh, best high upside ceiling plays at number twenty eight? Should particular guys maybe in in that earlier first fall to them? Yeah, um, let's see. One guy. I mean, a player I really like is Tyler Bay. Yes. Uh, from Colorado. I, I, I think he'll be there at 28. Uh, I don't know if they would, you know, think that's, you know, too early or not. But, uh, you know, to me, he's right in that range. Um, you know, he's one of the better athletes in the in the draft. Um, just, it's just kind of a matter of refining the other stuff. You know, if he can become a consistent spot-up shooter, he's an okay shooter. Mechanically, it's not awesome. But, you know, I, th- I think he can get better. I, I don't think it's broken. And, you know, if he hits some threes... Um, you know, he plays really hard. He's a pretty good defender. Um, you know, has the verticality factor. Uh, he's just kind of the type of guy where, you know, he, I, he would have been a bad, a bad tweener, right, 10 years ago maybe. But now, mm-hmm. you know, you see the tools and you see, you know, what he does. Uh, and you say, hey, maybe we can just plug that guy in. Right. Uh, and, you know, I don't think it's bad, a bad fit for the Lakers because I think, again, one advantage you have when you're building and your two best players are LeBron and AD, which you know, obviously we saw over the course of the whole bubble, is like the other three guys you put out there, it's kind of fungible. Like you can kind of try a bunch of different things and it might mm-hmm. work anyway, right? So uh, I think if there's a guy like that who is a little bit less like traditionally a position fit, um, I think he I think he can still make sense on a team like that for sure. Uh, and he's a good transition player. Uh, so I, I think that'd be an interesting upside pick. Even though he's older, I, I do think yeah. that he's kind of an interesting sleeper. Uh, other than that, I mean, Jamias Ramsey's an upside guy, uh, not a great player yet, but I, I think does have the tools to kind of put it together. Teams are kind of across the board on him, mm-hmm. um, but he's a scoring guard. Yeah, uh, th- those are I guess those are the two guys who I would point to as like interesting upside sleepers. Cool. Yeah, I, I want to touch on Bay really quick. How, how do you compare him to Josh Green? I know Bay's slightly taller, maybe a little bit longer. He kind of gives me that Brandon Clark sort of vibe, and you know, maybe a lesser version of that would be like Larry Nance Jr., who was on the Lakers before as well. Just sort of that cleanup, garbage man dude who can kind of utility guy who can kind of do everything, and maybe has a potential for a jump shot. But but in terms of him or Josh Green, who would you go with for the Lakers in, in that sense? Yeah, I, I think that's the right idea. Um, they're different positions. I mean, Green is really a wing. Uh, Green is only like six five, um, and Green Green to me is probably a two, two three, and Bay is a four, who might be able to play some like small five. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Bay's Bay's not a wing. Bay Bay is really a big. So uh, that's how I distinguish it. And I gotcha. mean, for the Lakers, it just depends on uh, you know off season wise, you know personnel, right. uh, whether what they feel like they would need. I mean, I, I would think. To me, I think Bay is a more interesting fit there just because the Lakers already have Fortin Tucker. You probably want to give him another year and see how much yeah. better he gets. And, you know, Green is sort of a similar, not, not, not the same type of player, but sort of the same spot on the floor. So, uh, but again, who knows? I mean, that's just sort of me speculating. Yeah, but. no, that makes sense. And, you know, the Lakers may eventually down the line flip Kyle Kuzma for something else. And then you're, you know, shipping out a 6'9 guy out the door. It might be beneficial to bring back another sort of player that, I mean, in some respects, when I see him on the court, I'm like, is that Kyle Kuzma? Um, (laughs) But but yeah, no, those are good points. Um, I I really quickly want to do a this or that where I just throw out prospects to you and you just give me like who you would rather have. Um, You know, Grant Riller is another name that the Lakers have talked to and apparently, you know, really like. He's just 
this high volume like microwave score that you know could potentially come off an NBA bench. What are your thoughts on Grant Riller or Tyrese Maxey? Um, I mean, I would take Maxey ten times okay. out of ten. But oh, Maxey okay. also Maxey also has no chance of being there at twenty eight. Right. Okay. Uh, but Riller is an interesting player. Like. I don't know. I went to see him. I saw him live. I mean, I see a lot of these guys in person this season, but uh, really, like, he was noticeably smaller than he's listed, mm. uh, which is which is a drawback. I don't doubt the talent at all, but he's just an older player, too. So right. uh, I, I don't know if he'd be necessarily a reach at 28, but you have to be really confident in what you're getting. Gotcha. Uh, so it, it's interesting, yeah. Yeah, maybe a potential if they trade down to the second round. Uh, what about Jamias Ramsey or Grant Wheeler? Um. I mean, I think I'd rather have Ramsey just off of the upside potential. But if you're looking for, if you're Lakers, right, and you're saying, hey, maybe we can find a guy who can help us now, then Riller. Um, I think it's going to be a case where it's going to be sink or swim just because, you know, he is older. Uh, and it's going to be kind of apparent quickly, mm-hmm. um, you know, what translates and what doesn't. Um, right. Riller's really, really good at the rim. Uh, he's a great finisher. Yeah, he has really good pop off one foot. So he is able to get separation, get extension despite being a smaller guy. Uh, but obviously keep in mind, you know, he was playing at a lower level uh, at Charleston his whole college career. So with him, it's just really a question of how much you think will translate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, for some people, the age and the tools are sort of a holdup as to, you know, fully buying his efficiency. Right. Uh, but he really had a crazy, uh, you know, just a history of, of college efficiency. So, yeah. And, you know, people always like to throw out that Fred Van Vliet comp for him. Um, what about, so I, do you think, like, the guys like Tyrell Terry or, or Malachi Flynn or Trey Jones will be in this range at all for the Lakers? Yeah, I think Trey Jones, there's a decent chance he's there. I don't think Tyrell Terry will almost definitely not be there. Okay. Um, he seems and, to be rising fast. And Flynn, Flynn, I think, has a chance, but it's also probably more of a toss-up. Like, Flynn is a guy who, you know, teams really like, I think, I think if he is there, he'd be a great pick uh, for mm-hmm. LA. Um, but I think it's possible he goes in the, you know, the five picks before that. But I would think Trey will go earlier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for you personally, would you have Flynn over Trey? I would. Okay. And I would guess that Flynn is the first of this like next group of point cards to go off the board. Gotcha. Um, I just think Flynn is a better offensive player. He's more dynamic, better shooter. Uh, and um, just kind of like the kind of guy coaches are going to love having. Uh, despite he, you know, he's not very big. Uh, Trey, Trey Jones, like I've never loved him just because I don't. You know, he, he's gotten better as a shooter. I don't necessarily buy him being a great shooter, and I also don't. I'm not sure. Obviously, he was a you know one of the best defenders, uh, defensive guards in, in college, uh, but just not being a super big toolsy guy. You know, it's hard to see. Obviously, he's going to give you the effort, but I, I wouldn't say that he's like for sure going to walk into the NBA and lock people up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what about Trey Jones versus Cassius Winston? Out of those two, who would you kind of side with, I guess, in relation to or in context of the Lakers? I think for, I think for the Lakers, I think Trey probably makes a little bit more sense just, mm-hmm. you know, because I said the, the defensive a- aspect, right, right. Uh, being able to kind of do the other things. I mean, you saw, you know, Rondo obviously is not much of a shooter, but what he did worked. Uh, I'm not making a comparison here, but mm-hmm. if you're saying, you know, maybe Rondo, maybe we lose him, maybe we get out, you know, someone else wants to pay more for him. Uh, we want a guard who we can kind of groom. Uh, you know, I think Trey makes more sense. Uh, Winston is more of an acquired taste. I do think he's a really good player. I think you know it's possible he goes in the in that range too. Um, but I, but I think for the Lakers, the Winston, the def- defensive issues would probably would cause me to err on the side of Jones. 
Gotcha. Okay, two last this or that, and you don't have to go into like deep explanations on this, but uh, two shooting kind of wing shooting guards, Elijah Hughes or Isaiah Joe? Uh, I would take Isaiah Joe. Okay. For sure. Um, I just, I think there's a little, little bit more outside just because he's a better shooter. Hughes, Hughes is more of like a ball dominant player, which is not just not really my, my type of guy. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, lastly, Tyler Bay or Robert Woodard? I'm guessing you'd go Bay, but. Yeah, I'd go Bay. Woodard is, you know, I think there's an outside chance he goes in the first round, but I think he's probably more of a second round pick. I just, I don't, for, for me with Woodard, it's just to hold up over. Uh, you know, obviously he's a good athlete, but what does he do well in terms of skills? Uh, he just has a little ways to go. He's more of a project to me. So. Okay, well, thank you so much for, for joining us. Jeremy, my last question to you is, gun to your head, you're on the clock as the Lakers. Your dream scenario pick if said, prospects, if said prospect falls is? Um, you know, I actually really think Desmond Bain would be a good fit there. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not like, you know, a lot of people have been gassing him up. I'm not like, all the way in where I'm like Desmond Bain is a top 20 pick, right? Like I think to me that's rich, but if he's there at 28, um, he'd be a really good plug and play guy for them. And I think he's going to make shots. He's going to make, make good decisions uh, off the ball. And I think that, you know, assuming and knowing that the Lakers are, you know, may or may not have a first moving forward, you know, I, th- I think it's, it would be the right type of guy where, you know, you're just trying to gas the window up now. So. Yeah, so uh, it looks like he's not going to be there. So your realistic will be perfectly satisfied guy if he's here is? Well, I do think he actually might be there. I don't, oh, I don't okay. I don't, I don't think he's necessarily going higher than 28. I think, I okay. think he could, but I don't, I don't think it's crazy to say that he'd be there. So that was my realistic. And... Okay, perfect. Oh, that works, that works <laughs> out for us. So, uh, Jeremy, thanks so much for uh, hopping on. Do you have anything to plug, anything coming up? Not really. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Wu. Uh, I've been doing a draft newsletter for for SI uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, which you can subscribe to. Uh, it's biweekly going from now until the draft, and that's kind of you know where I've been reporting, uh, you know, information and whatever and whatnot. So you know that's there. But other awesome. than that, no. yeah. Thanks, cool. Man. Well, thanks for joining us, and good luck with the virtual draft. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. Take care. See ya. All right, so that was my talk with SI's Jeremy Wu. Hope you guys still found that insightful and are now more informed in the guys from the number 28 all the way to the number 40 range. We're going to take it to one more break, and when I return, I will give my predictions for what the Lakers will do in this draft, even though they do not have their number 28 pick anymore. So I'm going to assume that they buy a second-round pick, and with that pick... I'm going to guesstimate where it lands and also give you a tangible prospect that I predict they will end up picking. In light of the news that we just picked up, a playmaking primary initiating point guard like Dennis Schroeder and lost out on a 3 and D wing like Danny Green. So keeping that all into context, I will make a tangible prediction for who the Lakers select with second round pick X. So stay tuned. We'll take it to break. All right, so I'm back. And to close this show, I'm going to give you my draft night predictions for the Lakers. Again, I assume that they're going to buy a second round pick, if not two. And even if they don't, they will definitely come out of this draft with two or three undrafted free agent signings. That's just my opinion, especially with news that the new two-way contracts for this upcoming season no longer have a capped maximum amount of service days attached to them. And and we can actually call our two-way guys up and have them with the big league team for as long as we want, as long as they don't surpass being on the team for 50 or so games. So that gives the Lakers even more incentive to find these undrafted free agent prospects and consider making them two-way guys during training camp. So with that said, 
There are two teams, the Sixers and the Kings in particular, who have multiple picks in the second round that they likely will not use. I'm specifically looking at the Sixers' 34 and 36 picks and the Kings' 35th and 43rd picks. Now, Daryl Morey is currently running the show for the Sixers, and I'm sure he's not keen to help the Lakers out, and he wants to play his Morey ball and make as many picks as he can get his hands on. But given the Sixers already have a first-round pick, and outside of these two early second-round picks, they also have the 49th pick and the 58th pick. So worst comes to worst, maybe the Lakers can buy that 49th pick. Last year, we bought Taylor Horton Tucker for $3 million at the 46th pick spot. But I'm going to assume that Palinka's able to finagle his way into these first 10 picks of the second round. Let's just work under that premise. And even if we go all the way down to the 49th pick, there are still several contributing players that I can think of that the Lakers may target to help fill the Danny Green void. So I know the Lakers have been working out a bunch of playmaking guards up until this point. We've heard of them really liking Tyrell Terry. We've heard of them working out Grant Riller, maybe Malachi Flynn, Trey Jones, and Cassius Winston were even on their radar. But now that we've got Dennis Schroeder, I believe the Lakers are going to try and get some 3 and D wing insurance and maybe even a stretch big in case they're not able to retain Markeith Morris. So those are the two types of template players that I'm looking at for this second round pick, whether it lands in the 35 to 49-ish range. There should still be some guys available. So with the ambiguous second round pick that the Lakers have, here are some names to look out for. If somehow Tyler Bay falls to the second round, he's like this Brandon Clark, very lanky-ish, athletic, long wing slash power forward defender that I really like. If Tyler Bay falls to the second round, the Lakers should do everything they can to try and buy a pick and draft him. More likely, though, are guys like Xavier Tillman out of Michigan State, who's a power forward passing big man with a jump shot. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Paul Millsap, one of the best defenders in college basketball this past year, and just a veteran, more established, win-now sort of guy who can help your team. So in case Markeith Morris, uh, we're not able to retain Markeith Morris or the Ibaka plans with the full mid-level fall through, Xavier Tillman would be a guy that I would look at in the second round for the Lakers should they be able to obtain a pick. So Elijah Hughes should be there. I have a man crush on Elijah Hughes as this dynamic shooting guard slash wing scorer who can hit shots off the dribble, is very athletic when he drives it into the paint and hammers it down on multiple guys. He's also got crazy range from three-point land. We don't know how he is defensively, but I think you could mold him into a 3 and D sort of guy. So keep Elijah Hughes in mind. Then we've got guys like Jordan Nora, who's been absolutely killing it in all of the three-point shooting drills at the Combine. Obviously, we lost shooting with Danny Green, and Jordan Nora has that wing-like size at 6'6", to fill Danny Green's shoes potentially down the road, and who we can begin developing now. Then we've got a guy like Robert Woodard, who's a physical specimen and really strong, 230 pounds, 6'7", with a 7'1 wingspan. He has excellent physical tools for a forward. He's very powerful and athletic. Um, he was able to hit some threes, granted on a very low volume, but I feel like he can definitely develop in that department. So he absolutely would be one of my main picks for a potential 3 and D replacement in the second round that the Lakers should definitely keep an eye on. 
Outside of Robert Woodard, another one of my man crushes comes in the form of Isaiah Joe. It's very unlikely that he falls to this range, but just in case he does, outside of Hughes, he's my next most exciting prospect at the shooting guard wing spot. Just absolutely can bomb it from three-point land. Also has the wingspan and length to really get after it defensively. So he could fill that, you know, Wesley Matthews, KCP type protege and mold uh, in place of Danny Green and just give us some insurance down the line as well. And he's got some really nice off-the-bounce potential as well, being able to hit all of these dribble pull-up mid-range shots and dribble pull-up threes. So Isaiah Joe would be another guy in the Elijah Hughes shooting guard slash small forward 3 and D range that if they were available in the second round, in this early part of the second round, I would absolutely try and get. Lastly, if Killian Tilly is still falling down draft boards and continues to slide. I feel like Killian Tilly from Gonzaga is a guy who may be available even at the 49th spot where the Sixers own that pick and the Lakers may be able to take that pick off Maury's hands. Killian Tilly is a guy who is 6'10", is versatile, can shoot the hell out of the ball, is pretty fluid moving around the court. He's like a poor man's Danilo Gallinari. He actually also has like a low post game to him. So in some senses, he kind of reminds me of like a Nikola Vucevic, a really poor man's Nikola Vucevic who can shoot threes. He's just been terribly injury prone throughout his time in college. But if you are confident in your medical staff and think you can get this guy right, he's one of the most ready-made prospects that can help a team out and just stretch the floor for you and at the very worst maybe be a Ryan Anderson for the Lakers. I mean he has a pretty well-established pedigree to his name and the only reason why his sliding is again due to his injury concerns. So if Killian Tilly is here he is another prospect that I feel like the Lakers should take a stab at if they buy a pick. All right so with all that out of the way I've given you guys a bunch of names. I'll go through them one more time. Elijah Hughes and Isaiah Joe in that dynamic 3 and D shooting guard slash wing template. You can also add smaller pure shooters like Emmanuel Quickly, who the Lakers interviewed twice, and Sam Merrill into this group. Sam Merrill, I mentioned on Twitter, could be the Lakers' Svi Mikhailu redemption story if they pick him. And these are two guys that can go later in the second round, if not be undrafted free agent guys. So Sam Merrill in particular is a guy who I believe the Lakers can make one of their undrafted free agent signings and maybe even turn him into a two-way guy. So keep those two names in mind. We've got Tyler Bay, Robert Woodard, and Jordan Nora in this six foot seven and above class of guys with pretty good wingspan who can potentially shoot it from the outside but also be a defender in the future. You can maybe add Jay Scrub to this list as well. He just he just can't shoot well enough for me to want to take a stab at him at this point, but you can throw his name in there. And then when it comes to potential stretch bigs to maybe fill that uh, Markeith Morris role, you've got Xavier Tillman and Killian Tilly as guys to look out for. All right, enough waffling. With the ambiguous second round pick that the Lakers will buy from someone like the Sixers or the Sacramento Kings, I have the Lakers drafting Robert Woodard. That's going to be my final pick. Personally, I want Elijah Hughes and Isaiah Joe, but I just have a feeling they may go the Robert Woodard route. Now, I know there are questions to his three-point shooting and whether you can trust the volume, but he just seems like the type of player that Phil Handy can mold into a sort of like OG Ananobi type. 
I also wouldn't be surprised if they pick Killian Tilly. I'll just throw that out there. But my final answer is the Lakers will select Robert Woodard in the second round of this draft. And then when it comes to undrafted free agent guys, add Sam Merrill to your list. So yeah, with that said, continue to be strapped and buckled in. This is going to be one wild and crazy ride uh, leading up to Wednesday and then leading into Thanksgiving, to be honest with you. I know trades are allowed to happen as soon as tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this. So things should only pick up from there. And yeah, the Lakers ended last season with a bang and they're starting the next season off with a bang as well. And they're literally the first domino to fall in what's expected to be a very busy and insane trade transaction window heading into free agency. So with that said, thank you guys for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on iTunes. We beg of you. Um, We're hoping to have a post-draft episode on Wednesday where I can hopefully bring on Tommy and Alan, so stay tuned for that. But otherwise, thank you guys for listening. And holy sauerkraut, Batman, we got Dennis Schroeder. Thank you, Danny Green, so much for your services, and uh, you are an NBA champion with the Lakers forever. So, um, yeah, that's it. We'll catch you guys next time.